Hello and welcome to the St. Francis Catholic Chat. This is Sheila. And this is Father Casey. And Sheila, today we are very blessed to have a special guest with us. Super duper special. Super duper. I don't know. Wow. I don't know if I'd go that. Maybe just super special. Oh, uh, no. I would go the super duper. You'd go with the duper? Yeah, it's been yeah. a good time so, so far yes well anyway uh, we're very happy to welcome with us today uh, father Christopher Siler hello father Siler hello I'm happy to be here father Siler is a priest of the uh, what archdiocese from the archdiocese of st. Louis in Missouri is there another st. Louis uh, I, I learned there's a st. Louis Michigan recently is it really there is indeed <laughs> okay but that's not to be confused with st. Louis no very in different Missouri very different places yes and um, awesome. So Father Seiler uh, and I are classmates uh, from the North American College. That's right. Yeah. And and just so we're clear, my mother always told me I was very special. So I think <laughs> I super, am super duper special. Du- super duper right. special. Absolutely. Well, maybe uh, Mrs. Seiler can listen to our podcast now that you're on it and she'll become a l- lucky listener number eight or something. <laughs> she'll uh, like it for us too. I'll for sure pass on the uh, information. Cool. Well, this is... Um, it's so exciting, you know. When I when we first Sheila when we first started the podcast, uh, I sent a, the first episode to Father Siler, and he was very complimentary of it. It and was very well done. It was excellent. Um, that was before we got Sheila on, though. It's only the quality's only kind of raised up since then. Continues um, to grow. We continue. We're we're always a growth and uh, work in progress. And so, um, and I said, well, then you got to be a guest. Yeah, and I remember after that too. I didn't know who Father Siler was, so we got to get Father Siler on here. I was like. Um, okay, I guess Whoever so. Whoever that guy is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, is that that weirdo whose uh, picture is all over the Catholic Center? He's yeah, so it's sort of strange <laughs> being here and seeing my own face on the wall a variety of times. That's it's how we do it. Actually, um, Father was very impressed by how recent our canvas pictures are. He was commenting. Yeah, because in the corner of this room, there's a picture of you in a mask. Right. So I, thought, I was doing it before. It was I cool presumed though. you weren't doing that last fall. <laughs> no, that was that was from about a year ago. <laughs> Father sets the fashion. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. I've always thought that. Don't blame me Casey. for COVID. <laughs> it's, it's not my. F- we could blame a lot of people, but it's not. It's not my fault. So um, yes, no, we um. So Father Siler, there's a few pictures, um, and yeah, he uh, he's on our uh, on some of our camera. In fact, one of them. Uh, it's only his back, but is when he he arranged Sheila for me to celebrate Mass in the Clementine Chapel, which is the chapel where the bones of Saint Peter are. It's right up against the bones. What is it, a little bit about that, Father? Yeah, it's the Clementine Chapel, named after uh, Pope Clement the Seventh, I believe. Who we could, was? We could pack that check. Maybe, yeah, check maybe, that, yeah. maybe a definitely, lot of Clements. Definitely want to look that could up. Be, there are be. many Clements, that's for sure. At least fourteen, and. Uh, Anyway, it's the chapel under St. Peter's Basilica that's closest to the tomb of St. Peter. And so it's, in a way, I think, the most special place to celebrate Mass in Rome, I would say, because it's immediately next to the tomb of St. Peter and, and his bones. And it was great. Was that, la- that was last fall, wasn't it, when you were right, able to that was in Right, uh, that was in November. Right. And it also, um, Father Siler, on that trip, was also the one who just told me that I should call um, Santa Maria de Angeli, and asked to celebrate Mass on the tomb of St. Jose Maria. So there's another oh. picture of me celebrating Mass, and he's the one who at dinner, I think it was just the night before, um, said, we should just call and see if you Absolutely. can say Mass there. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so basically the two um, coolest location Masses that I celebrated when I was in Rome uh, last year, the Mass on the body of St. Jose Maria, and then uh, much you know bigger Mass right at the bones of St. Peter is... Um, both those were arranged by Father Siler. That's very cool. Basically, every uh, everything in my life 
uh, Father Siler has been some cause <laughs> of like anything. I'm like, oh, hey, I did this and it was really cool. Oh, well, where did I get the idea from? <laughs> to Jesus through Mary. And <laughs> by Father Siler. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a slight exaggeration, but I'm happy to have been an instrument in God's hands on those brief occasions. So when you have when you celebrate mass on an altar, when it's an actual altar, there's a relic inside the altar usually, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Does there have to be? Um, there's supposed to be. So, I mean, for example, during the these last few months I've been living at home actually with my mom and dad because I've been sort of displaced because of the virus and I've been celebrating mass just at home on a table that I've been mm-hmm. using. It's not ideal, but in a church, the altar should have a stone on it with a relic. And that comes from the book of Revelation where uh, the vision of St. John has of seeing the saints under the altar of uh, the lamb in heaven and sort of that connection united to the, the history, the communion of the saints is present also at every mass. So nice. So cool. when they have the bones in the room, so like if St. Peter's bones right. are there, would they also have a relic in the altar? Or is no, usually because that's actually it started in Rome as well, where they would actually bury, build the altars on top of the tombs of the saints, and then like you know when you didn't have any more f- burial places to put people, they would just get little pieces of the relics and yeah, and do it. So in a lot of Roman churches, you have a saint under the altar. Um, and so there's not other bones in the altar because there's just the saint below it. So, wow, yeah. that's really cool. And in the traditional mass, don't you say, isn't there, there's the prayer that you say when you, um, when you kiss the altar. That's when right. You venerate yeah. the altar. Do you know it by memory? Uh, no, I don't. I'd have to start with the Arfa or Nobis. I was, gonna, I, was, I was actually doing the same thing in my head. But, but you say reliquia hic sunt. You say the relics who are here, and then you kiss the altor. Right. Quorum like sanctorum tuorum. Really Quarter, really that's yeah. right. yeah, see, I, I don't know. Right. That well it's said in a little voice goes. I know, it's sitting in the pews. I don't hear this. Well, stuff. you know, <laughs> people really don't hear that's yeah. a whisper. And there's another one, one of the prayers during the offertory, you mentioned the saint who's there because oh, you're do bending really? down very close and you say uh at this, at Eastud. Is yeah, it at right. I think that's yeah, yeah. It um you know, it's interesting. So there's a there's a in the in the traditional masses a lot of prayers, a lot of private prayers of the priest says, a lot of whispered prayers of the priest says. And a friend of ours, um, who I'm not gonna say, has a an older priest friend who um, would always he'd have a terrible memory and he can't he couldn't remember the prayer. And some, like he would get pretty far, but then it just. Phew. And yeah. so there's one time that he's going. It was actually in that the um, meritum sanctorum torum quorum domine what that he um he he just completely blanked on. So he just sees it there. And it's a whispered prayer, so no one can hear. He's just like, Lord, the prayer I'm supposed to say. Oh. <laughs> that's it. I mean, the Lord knows. The Lord, Lord, knows. The Lord knows the, right. the prayer that exactly. I'm supposed to say. Absolutely. It's very. It's tough. It's tough. What else are you gonna do? Exactly. So it's very um no, but those are those are all whispered prayers. Their their prayers are said in a in a low voice. Um, in the traditional Latin mass, there's a lot more low voice prayers. What is the symbolism behind the low voice? I think it's that. It's the, I have no idea, actually. I, I can't even make anything up. Yeah. <laughs> no, we could try to, we could try to make something up. I mean, I mean, I think the reality is it was uh, during those centuries, it was the altar was far from the people. And, and part of that was just these private prayers of the priest to sort of cultivate his own devotion oh. as he celebrated. And also, like, if you've got to project your voice along, like, give the poor priest a break. Like, you know, we can, yeah. we don't have, you don't have to try to get people to hear this one. All right? Especially with your back turned. To them, also I mean, true. Uh, facing the same direction yeah. as them, <laughs> Sheila. Facing the same direction. There you go. Sorry. Um, well, 
you know, as as I follow Father Siler in many things, and Father Siler is actually responsible uh, for much of the um, formation that that I've you know we were classmates in Rome, so we would talk a lot between classes on the way to classes, and we lived on the same hallway for three years, I think, two Correct. years on Ruckus, and then one on the Correct. rectory. Yeah, three years. Um, we um, Father Siler is actually the priest who uh, we went on vacation. My our first summer in Rome, and he gave me a book to read, which is actually the topic of our discussion today, uh, called the intellectual life, and um, it was really, I mean, just this idea of intellectual formation, intellectual life, and as I reflect upon my own formation, there was a, a few kind of points in my formation. Um, started with Bishop Barron, who then was just Father Barron, coming and speaking the knack, and just being like, wow, this guy is really smart, and he's really convincing when he speaks. Uh, but then we went on vacation, and you gave me this book by um, Father Sertelange, The Intellectual Life, uh, which then I read. I'm just like, wow, <laughs> like this is so cool. So today we're just we're talking a little bit about the intellectual life and um, and why that's in why that's important. So this book, The Intellectual Life, was it like trying to convince you that you should cultivate the intellectual life? Ultimately, the the idea behind it is sort of to. I mean, talk about the, the value of the intellectual, but also sort of, yeah, so the theory behind the intellectual, but it's also a very practical book as well. Incredibly practical. That, that sort of lays out how one should order one's life, one's days to pursue uh, the truth and to pursue wisdom uh, and, and sort of cultivate the intellectual life uh, as a spiritual discipline, ultimately, not just for knowledge's sake in the sense of some sort of uh, purely worldly reasons, but ultimately that the grounding of the intellectual life is the, the sort of natural inclination that we have given to us by God to desire the truth, that you know, God who is first truth has given us this desire, and ultimately our perfect happiness comes from, as St. John says, you know, we will see him like, you know, as he is. So ultimately it's this, this desire we have for the truth, and the more we know, it's it's all a greater knowledge of God that we're desiring. And so Sertilange as a Dominican, the Dominican order, St. Dominic, whose feast day is tomorrow. Uh, spoiler warning. We're <laughs> recording this on August 7th. I have no idea when it's being aired, but spoiler warning, this is August 7th. Just so everybody knows. But anyway, uh, St. Dominic, who was the sort of father of Father Sertilange, said that uh, or gave the motto, first motto of the Dominicans, was Veritas, truth, because he wanted to preach the truth and to share the truth of, of the faith. And, and so the Dominicans, I think, have this really strong tradition and, and sort of passing on that intellectual aspect of finding and discovering God. Cool. So why, why would you say it's important, um, you know, to, to, to know our faith uh, and to know the truth in general, right? It's not just about matters of catechesis. It's it just to know, to know the truth, to know um, why. Yeah, why does it matter? Like, why not just kind of be pious and go do our work? And isn't that, isn't that enough? Like, well, why do we have to learn stuff? Well, I think it's, at the end of the day, we say we're creating the image and likeness of God. And the root of the image and likeness of God in us is our ability to know and to love. And so, as the tradition says, you can't love what you don't know. And so, if you want to love well all the different things in your life, whether it's what you're doing as work, what you're, your family, the different people in your life, the Lord, you got to know things. And, and ultimately, for me, it, it was really a, 
in high school, I think I had some really important professors who cultivated in me sort of just this wonder. And, uh, you know, I think just wonder at the gift of creation, everything we see around it from science classes to, well, not so much math. I never really liked math, but I understand some people get into that sort of thing. But, you know. Julia, the chemist, is sitting over in the corner frowning right now. Well, I understand it's a deficiency in myself, but it's it's a lack of virtue. It may I be a have. deficiency in the subject, too, though, because I don't really like math either. Well, hey, hey, now. There's <laughs> very good things and important things that, that are there. But no, I mean, it's it's that sense of we grow in the likeness of God the more truth we take in, in whatever source that it comes, because it all does come from God. And and again, it it's makes us more human the more that we know. And and that's true about all sorts of things. And so it's why it's... And part of... So to Yash says, you know, it's good to read broadly and to have sort of have a wide uh, purview of what's there because nothing is alien to the Christian other than sin. And so all that is created, all that exists in the world is, is something that's ripe for our pursuit of knowledge and, and finding the good that's there and, and ultimately returning it, using it for the glory of God. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things that's so important is that, like you said, that sense of wonder and um, just to like desire to know more about, like I, w- I want to know more about this, right? I want I, I'm reading this this book or I'm studying this particular topic, and and it's not just like I'm studying to. We're actually going to talk about this with optimal work, which is what we're we're implementing with regard to helping study and learn here at the Catholic Center this upcoming semester. Um, but that like we're not just studying to get it done, right? It's not just like I'm just reading. I just want to get this book done. Now look. I read books to get them done sometimes because I'm on Goodreads and I got a reading challenge, right? I want to read 40 books by the end of 2020. Actually, today I just upped it to 50 because I'm doing so well. I'm at 30. I hit 30 books today and we're, we're not even... So I'm still... I upped it to 50 and I'm still two books ahead of schedule. So let's see. But I read some little books just to, just to up my number. So sometimes I read just to get it done. But more, that is, is less motivating than like... I want to know more about this. Like I'm, I'm interested in this topic. I wonder how does this go with this, and what is you know how do these different things fit in, and um, that that's that's a motivation that pulls us through, so that we our study becomes effortless. It, it becomes so enjoyable that we have to like force ourselves to stop and go off to do whatever we're doing, and not like force ourselves to continue and stay awake. That's not always the case, though. I mean, there are multiple subjects that I start, I mean, classes, I should say, that I start, and I'm like, man, I should have picked a different elective. And, I mean, I I learn stuff, and I enjoy something throughout the semester, but I don't necessarily end up leaving the semester thinking, that was a great class, I'm going to take the second one. Yeah, sometimes if it's like math, you just got to, like, get through it. <laughs> Especially math. That's this is actually, good. without Julia having a microphone, her just sitting over there getting upset is is a little entertaining. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, but no, I think you make a good point that, I mean, while while cultivating the virtue of, you know, studiositas and, uh, you know, sort of a, a sense of wisdom. That's studiosity, studiosity for those who don't speak Latin. That's right. And, you know, but there is that way in which, like any virtue, it's harder at the beginning. And I think especially when you're first learning the sort of beginnings of some science, you know, often it's more difficult, you know, to, to get the basics down. But once you do, just like playing a piano or something like that, you know, it takes a while to learn the scales and that's tedious, but there's a sense it's that freedom for excellence, that cultivation of, of a rightly ordered, uh, intellect too, that, that takes effort. And actually I remember, uh, father Casey is, is more virtuous than I am in many ways, but one way is I think actually 
then and Sir Josh talks about this is just go on, just is, please, is, please yeah, continue. Yeah, that's right. Is is to actually stick and continue reading something is a is a good thing that's sort of recommended to have order and how you do that. Whereas I often, I I think I fall into curiositas sometimes more than studiositas, which is that's curiosity. Curiosity for those who where, where too you know sometimes I can get too divided and want to like oh I want to look at this thing and look at that thing and you know I read like ten pages of this book and five pages of that book and don't always get through all the books that I read, which, you know, it's not always the worst thing, but I think there is something to be said for just sitting down, doing the work and yeah, in due time, it'll become freeing, you know, in some degree, but, and sometimes when you're in school, it's not, you don't have the freedom. You have to have to take the courses that are mandated to you by the university to take and, and some are going to be better than others. Not every teacher is the best too. So that's true. <laughs> so with regard to cultivating the intellectual life, um, what are some of the the means by which we cultivate the intellectual? So we want to grow in this in this um, love of the truth and in our knowledge of just you know, what we know. It's good to know, right? Uh, it's good to know truth. So, what are some of the means that we use to to cultivate the the intellectual life? At the end of the day, uh, or at the beginning of the day, I suppose the the primary thing is to find time uh, to do it and to find time set aside for dedicated study because I think at the end of the day if you're not um, making you know concrete time to sit down and read a book it's not going to happen automatically and it's not going to happen uh, YouTube has all sorts of great things on it but it's not going to be the source of you know intellectual virtue and, and a fruitful intellectual life so I think making the time for dedicated study is is the first well, Sheila and I had a podcast about time for prayer, so you're absolutely right. Like finding finding the time and making the time to do it. Sir Delange says we should do two hours a day. If you're really committed, you try to do two hours of study a day. And he's not writing this just for Dominicans. Like he's actually writing this for parish priests, for lay people, for married people, for all you know, all sorts of people. Try to do two hours of study a day if you're able to. Right. So how do you choose what you what you're like if you if you don't have like if I'm not in school anymore, you know, like what do I choose to study? How do I figure that out? I think there's a fair bit of freedom, you know, to sort of decide what to study. And I think there's not uh, limits on that because, uh, as I was sort of talking about earlier, the all truth is Christian truth. Anything that's true comes from, and, and it is ours in a certain way. And so I think it's sort of, there is a way in which the Lord's desires and, and what your interests can be a real source of, okay, I want to study, you know, microbiology in my free time. And that's fine, you know, but I think it's it's good as well to, be well-rounded in, in what you're studying. And so I think maybe to, to desire, okay, I want to read something about this part of Christian doctrine, or I want to read uh, a novel and sort of find there's some excellent lists out there of sort of classic Catholic literature. I have a book, the, um, the Catholic Lifetime Reading Guide by Father Hardin, which is really cool. It goes through a number of Catholic authors and different things by them. But yeah, I agree. Just finding something, right? Like read something. Because uh, if you spend so often just like, well, what do I want? Like, do I really want? You, you, Sheila saw me in a reading slump. It was about, what, a month ago? Yeah. I just couldn't bad. decide what it was. And I was, she saw it because she was in here in the Catholic Center studying. And I just would come in. I'd take like five different books. And I'm like, I'm going to go next door and see if I can read any of these. <laughs> and then you'd come back an hour <laughs> later. Nothing worked. No, nothing no <laughs> but you do the goal. Like, you just got to re just read something, right? That you just... And you may not like it, but this is where, you know, then following through and finishing a good book. So maybe pick a hundred page book or something, not a 5,000 page book. Um, but uh, the reading slump happened because I was reading 
the 800 page first volume of the civil war narrative and i'm like i I need a break from i can't i can't do this right now i just need something easier absolutely no and i think there is something to be said as well for reading classics that you know so often i think we get pre-digested uh you know the works of the great saints the works of the great literary figures that I think it's good, you know, every once in a while, okay, and I, I fall into this myself, like, I want to read something about St. Augustine. It's like, that's good. There's all sorts of good books about St. Augustine, but it's also good to say, okay, I want to read, you know, some sermons from St. Augustine, and to go and read the primary text. There's a great, uh, C.S. Lewis has a great little essay called On Old Books, um, which he talks specifically about that. He says, for every new book you read, you should read one old book. And there, I think there's something to be said for that, too, because they're not called the greats, the masters, for a reason, is because they really are uh, masters in passing on and conveying the, the deep truths about human life and human existence. And I think we shouldn't be afraid. Again, sometimes they can be a little daunting, but we shouldn't be afraid of diving into those things and being in touch with, with these great sources. And I think that YouTube and podcasts and all that can be a good springboard, right? So you watch like a, a video uh, of Bishop Barron, for example, and you... um. You're like, oh, I want to learn more about what he talked about, right? I started so much of that was like, I want to learn more about Newman because he gave three great talks about Newman. So like, let me go read some works of John Henry Newman. Now, my problem is I go way off the deep end. And like, I'm going to buy every Newman book I can get my hands on and we're going to, I'm just going to read it all, right? Um, but the part of that too is because there's a desire for comprehend, like full comprehensive, uh, full comprehension. That it's like, okay, I wanna, I really wanna know the corpus of this author. I wanna know the like expanse of his thought, right? When you read the Summa Theologiae, like you wanna read, like you wanna get. Well, he didn't. Saint Thomas didn't finish the Summa, but um, it's because he died. It's, not it's his fault. he died. It's not his fault. Well, maybe his fault because he kind of stopped writing for a little while before he died. He, could, he maybe could have. Um, but no, then you also wanna read. You should read Saint Thomas's like scripture commentaries you should read his philosophical work so you could get kind of all the different facets of his um his thoughts so it is there's a lot to like get interested through use the new means of podcasts youtube videos going to talks and stuff like that but use that as a springboard to kind of you know ignite the engines to then go and actually learn more about that yourself can I ask a question? Is that allowed by the guest to uh, pose a question? Uh, we should ask our host. Sheila's hosting. Yeah, go Can for I do it. That? Is that all right? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But what do you think? Because there's a way in which study is a pretty individual thing. But, I mean, Father Casey, what is your experience with the import of community and friendship in cultivating the intellectual life? Oh, I think it's essential. I, um, so I was just actually... Um, Sheila and Julia are, are great examples of this, that the two of them will sit here at the Catholic Center and study um, together without talking to each other. And uh, when, again, going back to that concept of optimal work flow, where you're at the highest kind of level of concentration and you're really engaged and interested, flow is contagious. So that it's where, where, you're, where you're, when you're with somebody who is um, engaged in something, it's contagious. And, and even you guys would on, uh, when we started Optimal Work, we'd start up a Zoom meeting and do an hour of study over Zoom. So the Zoom is live, right? But that it's, 
No one's talking to each other. And actually, this is why Father Siler and I are such great friends, I think, because we get this, that when we would, uh, anytime we'd be on vacation, or even just like this morning, we were both just sitting there for a half hour, reading our individual books, not talking to each other. Like, we, we understand that friendship doesn't always have to mean talking to each other, but it could just be sitting in a room and reading our own separate things and, um, and doing that. And, and so there is something about community in that. Also being able to ask questions uh, of someone or just kind of talk out an idea um, and have someone ask questions of you. So when you go back to the read, it's like, oh, well, what about this? And you're like, I don't know. When I go back to the book, I'll keep an eye on that, right? Yeah, and I think when someone has a love for something, it's contagious. Um, I really don't like chemistry at all. But since I hang out with Julia so often, um, I've grown to appreciate chemistry so much more just by her explaining all the little things and just like to see the passion that she has for it. It makes me want to like it, even though I have difficulty doing that. You know, when you sit in the room, when people are podcasting, you get a lot of, you get added a lot. You get, <laughs> uh, Father, I, I'm a, as a college chaplain, I know all the terms. Do you know what it means to be added? No. Okay. So at, it does stand for like the, the ampersand, like yeah. the at. So it's, it's oh, when added. you added, oh, do you I know thought, what it, to be added? No, I to be, have no idea. To be added is to be like when you get called out in something. So, nice. so it's like, you know, um, yeah. So distinct it's from a shout out. Distinct from a shout out. No, it's, it is, it is distinct from a shout out. Yes, it is. Um, okay. I don't know why it's distinct from a shout out, but maybe when she's next on the microphone, Julia could tell us why adding Usually is. Usually adding is. Sheila knows. Somewhat negative. Oh. So oh. shout outs Ooh. like, hey, how are you? Oof. But adding is like, um, <laughs> It can be very passive aggressive. Like somebody didn't put the dishes away at Father Casey. It's like, oh, ah, nice. well, we were not doing that to Julia during. No, we podcast. weren't meaning to be <laughs> passive aggressive. I think we were being complimentary. So maybe but no, but shout shout out. I feel like shout out has to be like shout out, right? Right? Like, and you I have think, to shout it out. And I think the person has to not be there for a shout out. You don't shout out someone who's present. Yeah, I agree. That's true. Right? Whereas you do at somebody who's present. Julie's making hand motions, and I don't because she's trying not to talk, which is better off, I think, uh, without her having a microphone. <laughs> but um, yeah, th- and then that's different from a subtweet, right? To subtweet somebody is to reference them, where some people know that you're referencing them, but other people don't. So, like you know, to to subtweet, uh, I can't even think about something. It's usually that that's usually a little bit more um, passive aggressive. I can think of some, but I don't. Um, you don't care to share them at the moment. Well, I don't really want to sub to those people right now. <laughs> in case they're someone they know listens to them. I the one that's coming right to mind, I just can't. That's fair. I can't say. Probably better it's off. Has to do with your prudence many, is has to do with how many buttons are unbuttoned on your shirt. And so, you know, better some people wear their shirt button all the way to the top. Some right. don't. And so that's that's a little subtweet. Fair enough. Uh, right? It's called subtweet. Subtweet, yeah. Nice. So anyway, yeah, uh, sorry, so that's uh, adding. So we're just adding Julia there right. in a good way, in a positive right. way. Um, but no, but to, to study with friends yeah, is so good. Yeah. And I do think what Sheila was saying is, is totally true, that the the contagious nature of the the love of some topic can be very helpful. Because at the end of the day, we're not all going to love every single topic. There's going to be certain things that we have preferences for, interests for, and that's where I think... Thanks be to God, we don't have to know everything about everything alone because we can have friends who can know those things and you can get like a taste of it, but it's not required that, that we all become experts in everything. Now, we're coming, we're coming close to the end here, so I do want to um, have two, um, bring up two topics with regard to this from my history with Father Sire. The first is where I um, successfully 
um, implemented that we could have a communal studying in his room through through moving a furniture. And so can you tell the story about how you acquired a piece of furniture that I ended up just using for the next four years? Sure. So one, I guess it was, yeah, that our second year at the seminary, we had some formation conferences about this time, actually, a little in September. And we had a talk about priestly simplicity and Father Casey always pursuing uh, perfection and charity and holiness uh, was was captivated by the Franciscan speaking about s- simplicity and poverty and, and, and sort of not collecting too many things. And so he had this really nice couch he had just bought from some other guy in the college. And he was like, I think I'm going to get rid of my couch. And I said, well, I'll take it. And, and, and he was like, well, I'm not sure. It's like, no, yeah, I'll take it for sure. You give it to me. Little did I know that in him being so generous and giving it away, he believed he now owned property in my room such that he would come and I mean sometimes you were studying on it often you were just drooling on it taking a nap but uh <laughs> I, I study when I sleep I, it's enough. processing a, it's it led my subconscious to studying enough, fair enough but no so it was we had a very nice couch which I believe is now defunct after a few years it away it was from pretty Rome. defunct when it, I bought it, it. Was, you say very nice that's a, that's I guess that's, true. that's generous <laughs> it was nice as the guy know, who had seminarians. it before me, well, that's the thing, like in Rome, because you don't, you ship all your property there and back, like a big piece of furniture like that just gets handed down. So the exactly. guy who had it before me was very athletic, and so he would like go and work out, and then before like and sit down getting cleaned off, kind of sweaty. he would just like sit yeah. there and sweat it out on so the yeah, couch. Maybe it wasn't so was super gross. nice, but it was nicer than anything I tried I to not think before. about that as I was <laughs> passed out on it. In any event, but it was good, and, and my room did become sort of a locus of good, I think, uh, enjoyable conversation about what we were studying and, and often or with some regularity we would also just a couple of us would be in there using the couch the other chair I had in my room reading and, and uh, seeking after intellectual similarly to that vacation we actually went on it twice to the yeah. same place um, and a real kind of study vacation where L'altare de Lupo L'altare de Lupo the altar of the, of who of was the, the name of that what was the name of the, um, oh, I, can't the husband? I can't remember his name I, I'll, it'll come back to me uh, Giuseppina was the was the woman I think Giuseppa Giuseppina something like that. And Anyways, Flavio, old Italian, I want to say it was Flavio, but that doesn't. This old that, Italian couple who owned a house that they rented. The husband on, was kind of crazy on like VR. Unless they listen, like then they're that. wonderfully generous. I do pray for them a little bit because it is. Yeah, I mean they were they were old. I, uh, they were I hope old. they're okay. But yeah. it was a great house, and some of us we would go and just take a week, and we'd bring a lot of books, and we had the rule of life that was all morning you didn't talk to each other, uh, and you just read. And then you'd have lunch together. And then the afternoon, you could talk a little more, but it was mostly study. And then the evenings, we'd hang out, make dinner, play cards. But it was like an intellectual retreat. It was great. Those were wonderful. Well, and in these things, too, there's a, there's something about the social nature. Because uh, this was in, in on your couch. This was at the... That all other um, things that could be considered vices or, or good things. You know, having a nice glass of bourbon or a cigar or something when, you, when it's a vehicle for this kind of intellectual discussion or it's just like that that that's the proper place to enjoy some of these other created goods um a glass of wine whatever yeah right absolutely. so it could um yeah we'd have a good time with that uh and then the, just the second point uh because we're definitely over time now but with such an esteemed guest we're just gonna get every minute out of him we can um speak of my priestly simplicity um which didn't <laughs> is it wasn't an off thing um Father Siler and I, with the Intellectual Life and Praises Simplicity, um, had, a, had a little contest of, by the end of our time in Rome, who would have more books? 
because we both had many books. Had a lot of books. To the fact that the seminary provided you with one bookcase, and it was a long bookcase, not a tall one. But if you've got a second bookcase, you could flip it upside down, and then you could have two bookcases. It was basically a whole wall of books. It was a wall of books. And so I don't know, looking around the Catholic Center, if you see... I, I've, oh, con- yeah. I've continued I, I've, my pursuit. Yes, of- you, you have more books than I do now. But uh, I, I enjoy because I, even the last 24 hours or so being here, Seeing books, I'm like, oh, I remember that book in his room in Rome. I remember this book in his room in Rome, and it's it's good. Though, again, I was consoled when I made a trip to ours, to, to the Curie of ours, and John Vianney, who was famous for his priestly simplicity, he had a lot of books. And so I think if the Curie of ours saw that for the mission of, you know, preaching the gospel, you need books, I thought, who am I to uh, be holier than the Curie of ours? And... Uh, well, at that point, you're not going to be holier. You <laughs> books. You gotta, you gotta read if you're going to preach. But um, no, yes. So there, there was something. There was something to that. So that was our. That was always a, toward the end of our time in Rome. Is who's gonna? I remember there's one that I had to buy because I put it down on an outline. It was about Napro technology, and I put it down on my outline. And someone's like, you know, they could ask you about any book you put down in the bibliography. I'm like, oh. Uh, so I had to go buy this book on Napro technology and natural family planning, and be re- <laughs> it was and like try to read it on a train one day just so I could answer if someone asked me something about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much, Father Seiler, for joining us. It's been my pleasure. So perfect. Well, um, that's the Saint Francis Catholic Chat today. The feast of Saint Sixtus and Saint Cajetan, one or the other. So. Um, We'll hear from St. Francis. I'm Father Casey. I'm Sheila. And I'm Father Sotomayor. God bless.